Hello and welcome to Open Sources from CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Joining us shortly will be Scotty Hertz. Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. For this special episode, those politicians will be the people running in Ward 4. I should say some of the people running in Ward 4. We have not been able to get them all, which is understandable. Everyone is very busy, and it's important to keep in mind that there are a lot of people who are running in municipal elections while holding down uh, full-time jobs and family commitments and perhaps even a couple of cases of COVID-19. But for this uh, episode covering Ward 4, we are talking to, in alphabetical order, Linda Busatil, Hitesh Jagad, Adrian Salvatore, and Justin Van Deel. They are the ones you are going to want to hear from if you live in Ward 4 and would like to vote in this election. So I'm going to throw it to them, starting right now. Okay, Linda Busatil, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. So people may recognize you as a a current school board trustee. I think you've done four terms as a trustee. Um, So I guess the obvious question is... um, why why are why are we trying uh, our hand at a whole new uh state of politics and and running for council instead of uh school board thank you uh, for the question adam i i first want to start off with there's really not a huge amount of difference between school board and municipal government we deal with property and sewage and Um, you know, all sorts of issues, COVID, just like the city did, human resources, collective bargaining, and so on. And our budget's about $500 million. So it's, it's, and it's similar. Uh, The focus is on our schools, the physical buildings, and our students. The time was right right now. Uh, The work that I do in the West Guelph, Ward 4, is a lot of community development work. And I think the natural step around some of the work we're doing around housing, um, community economic development, the time is right to kind of uh, bring that um, in a uh, political arena at City Council. Mm -hmm. What would you, how would you characterize sort of the, I mean, maybe without pointedly um, critiquing the current Ward 4 councillors, but I mean, in, in terms of how you feel the western part of the city that makes up Ward 4 is sort of represented at council right now, how do you do, like, does, do, do you think this end of town is being seen? And and if not, I guess, what how, how do you want to make that different? Thank you again. Um, so Ward 4, part of Ward 4, just like other areas of the city of Guelph, Uh, We're a priority neighborhood on the social determinants of health through public health, economic, education, and so on. And through planning processes, whether it is the community well-being, community health, I would hope that bringing the four priority areas, Brant, our area, Two Rivers, and the Willow Road area, Onward Willow area, in a planning process, the question would be, how do we um, invest more? How do we create more opportunities, given that this is a, a neighborhood and an area of the community that is experiencing less? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess along with that, too, and we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, you know, this is an area where there are a lot of new Canadians, um, people who have immigrated here, uh, refugee resettlement, people who aren't necessarily um, part of the process because of, you know, their their status uh, in the system. And I, and I guess um, you work, you've, you've done a lot of work with these communities. What, um, I, I guess, how, how do we get them feeling more represented considering they can't do the most obvious part of this process, which is, you know, casting a ballot in many cases? Yeah, and, and thank you again for that question. I think the City of Guelph's five-year plan around <clears throat> communicating and engaging is really quite important because engagement is more than have your say Guelph, an online survey. Engagement in this community has to be face-to-face, connecting, outreach on the ground with communities. And I look at the dissonance between things like our parks master plan and the families that are, you know, trying to have a picnic and eat at Margaret Green Park. And our our master plan speaks about sports fields and doesn't really resonate to the needs of the families around Westwood Road, which is an extension of not having a place to celebrate and so on. So there's two parts to this. I think the first part is the engagement and active engagement. And the second part is widening the lens of what we do. Another example would be something like housing, you know, in our neighborhood, in our community, we've worked around trying to create pathways to housing, whether it's Habitat for Humanity, Wealth Not-for-Profit Housing, and so on. But the systems that we have in place define affordable housing as one or two bedrooms. And it, there's a mismatch and a disconnect to the families and the needs that we have. I'm hoping as a city councilor to bring that conversation to a policy level and advocacy for that kind of funding um, uh, through the county and through the province. Because I think unintentionally, the unintended consequence is creating perpetual poverty. That we are saying, because you are this size of a family, you are disadvantaged in terms of housing. I think that came up, granted it's not the word you wanna run in, but with the development at Willow and Dawson, where they wanted, and I think the project was approved to build an, an apartment tower there. And it was pictured very much as affordable units. And that's fine if you are single or, you know, starting a family. But a lot of the communities you're talking about are generational families. So grandparents, parents, children. And we, we kind of miss that in the the affordable angle. And it seems that that's sort of a, a particular um, a, a particular concern in, in this area where we Absolutely. live. And I am familiar with that project because Willow Road Public School is my school as a school board trustee. And I chair the property committee for the Upper Grand District School Board. So those development applications come to us. However, I'm in a silo of responding to it in terms of education, impact on the schools, and not that broader lens of poverty task force, accessibility, all those kinds. And, I, and that's the reason I'm running is to bring that to council, that lens. Mm -hmm. So you talked about, you know, being on school board, that's uh, kind of a comparable experience it, given the amount of money and the issues you're dealing with. You talked about um, the neighborhood and uh, the need to sort of raise that profile. I guess that explains, and maybe you can go into a bit more detail about this, you know, what 
you can bring counsel or also you know what kind of skills that are uh you've you've accumulated that are transferable to counsel yeah so my background is a lot of community economic development grassroots economic development about household income not big business but ways that families can afford you know to buy backpacks and extra things and and down payments and community engagement is my background as well. And I'm going to use as the lens, the MetroLinks, Margaret Green experience. And what I see is a disconnect between, you know, the province and city council and our city councillors and the community that's impacted by decision. One is information. You know, the families along Westwood Road not having any awareness of what is going on. And the second part of it is families feeling they don't have the resources, understanding, and, and the pathway to raise their voices into the, the, the dialogue about transformations in their neighborhood. And I think the skills that I brought there is behind the scenes, working with families to raise awareness and knowledge, you know, of, of who makes the decisions. And yes, your voice is important. Raising um, ways for people to comment, whether it's through the neighborhood, you know, the, the speaker's corner, and working with some of the emerging leaders in the community to give them the confidence to, to be interviewed by CBC, you know, breezy corners to raise their voice. And so I think that's the skill that I, I bring is connecting. It's not me speaking, but it takes a lot of time and energy to, to um, build the faith in community that they are valued and that it's good to be heard in this process. Mm-hmm. Ward 4 has uh, at least, well, technically both seats are open, but uh, there is only one incumbent running in Ward 4. Uh, some strong competition, but uh, aside from maybe some of the things you've talked about, I mean, what sets you apart? And if you are elected, how will people in Ward 4 see a difference in terms of their representation? I think I'm, there's a couple of things. I am very good at following up. So uh, some examples, Margaret Green Park, the redevelopment, we had asked the city as a neighborhood, as a group of residents, uh, for some input into that redevelopment. So the city went ahead and redeveloped without including a concession stand there for families to walk to. Again, that, that connection to the use of the park, families to walk to for an ice cream or for a tea. So that is something that you know I, I want to continue to nag and champion about. We, uh, the city forgot to put in the electrical outlet so that we could have movies in the park. We went back and had the city put that in and had all the documentation. Uh, we have been advocating for the splash pad. It's been many years since the duck pond over at the West End Recreation Center. The city has in capital plans now, it's in the capital plan to do the um, assessment of the location at Margaret Green Park. Again, through an equity lens, these are families that need accessible, affordable recreation right uh, within walking distance. The other thing is, you know, on that MetroLinks theme is the city will be starting the environmental assessment around the underpass in Margaret Green Park. And this is really important, the connection to our bikes and our hiking to the other side of Ward 4. And in the olden days, you know, People would hike over the tracks. That's not possible or encouraged. But I think the skills that I would bring is that engagement to people so that they can have a voice in what that looks like. And, and 
you know, we talk about in community development about not for me and to me, but with me. And mm. so that is kind of the way that we do things in the neighborhood and that I do things as well. All right. Well, that brings us to the most essential question of this interview, which is how can people learn more about your campaign? Thank you. So they can go to my website. It's Linda, L-I-N-D-A, and my last name, Busatil, B-U-S, like Sam, U-T-T-I-L dot net. They can call or text 519-546-2274. And, then, and there's an email as well. You can get this information from Dwell Folks from the, from the website there. Thank you again for the opportunity. Well, thank you for uh, taking some time out and good luck on the campaign trail. Thank you. We're now joined by Hitesh Jagad, one of seven candidates vying for the two seats in Ward 4 in the October 24th municipal election. You're someone who's known around town, but maybe not in the political realm. So for those who may not know who you are, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Myself is Hitesh Jagad, and uh, we do have a small business in town named Kit the Kitchen. And this business opened since uh, four and a half years, but we're doing this uh, catering business since 12 years. It is owned by uh, my wife, Kiritira, and uh, I have a family of two kids. My son is Kirtarov, and my daughter name is uh, Dwani, and my son is in the political science in the Waterloo, uh, uh, Loria University in Waterloo, and my daughter in grade six. What, what was the, your deciding factor or factors that made you want to run for council in 2022? The fact is that I'm, I'm kind of following very closely uh, the city activities and, uh, and I'm an active member of the community. And as a small business owner, believe me or not, I have a chance. I like to talk to the people and that's encouraged me to, you know, when I discuss with the people, people share so many things to me, like uh, what are their pros and cons, how they like the city, what they don't like in the city, what need to be improved, what need to be what need to be done to, you know, make the better prospect of the and good faith of the city. So, so many things I learned from the people throughout the four and a half year, and particularly during the COVID, that's, that's, that's given me an opportunity to learn about the more community because our business supported by the community. And that's lent me in a situation that, you know, we should, I should do something that will help community because I have done so much work during uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. We supported so many businesses. We supported so many frontline workers. We have done fantastic thing during the uh, during the COVID-19 and that will put me in a situation. And there are, I have seen so many people have a concern for the app, uh, affordability, like pricing us going, everything is up. People, I have seen the people are mentally stressed down. They need more help, you know, for the mental health and wellness. I have visited many places during that time and I have seen there is a lack of the funding for the people who need the mental health help. And there is a lot of complaint I have heard or the feedback I have seen from the people that there's a lack of a public transportation for the smooth transportation system. And even I faced myself when I was new in Canada. So there's lots of things I have seen because I'm in Canada for the last 18 years and I have seen so many things happen. And I think, you know, this is a good time to give a try myself to you know make a difference to the community and I love to be a part of the community and it will be my privilege if I'm elected and serve to the community.
You mentioned your your business. So in in your view, is there anything in the wake of COVID and increasing costs and everything? Is there anything that city council could do specifically to help small business in Guelph? I'm giving you one example just for my business as well. And what I have faced that time, that Mm -hmm. will give you an idea of what's supposed to be done for the small businesses. So we opened a restaurant in 2017, December. And after that, 2018, they have opened up the Madcap and Aramosa intersection for the large work for the sewer line right all right mm-hmm. and and they have they have mentioned us that X is going to take them about two weeks or three weeks max to complete the project and they even came here and they have mentioned us that you might be have a little bit trouble for these many weeks and things will be worked out for you right i said okay no problem but we i'm a new business so now the situation for me for two to three weeks, how am I going to run the business? But the situation turned out in different direction. It was, it was stressed out by four months instead of three to four weeks. Now you have to think this. In four weeks, I have no idea what to do and what not to do. But here, here I, the idea came in the mind. There is a surrounding business impacted, not just me. So there is a, all businesses next my plaza, next to the, you know, all our surroundings business impacted. But I haven't seen, they have only put board that business are easily accessible. But as per the perspective, they haven't released any valid map that how people will access those businesses, how they will make those businesses not be impacted due to this large construction. And this was a disaster for me because as a new business owner, a small business owner, it is hard for me to survive. So that's the one point. Whenever city doing something like constructions, they have to have clear map out ideas, how the business will be accessible and how it's supposed to be advertised by the city. So my suggestion to the uh, councillors that we should have a system in place. Whenever something like this happened, we should have a clear map out Business will be accessible easily, no matter how you're accessing the business. And if any percent has been reduced to give something to that particular small business or any business, it should be disclosed to them. That way they will have, that will help them to reduce their, you know, monthly rent. And they will be blessed that, you know, I'm paying a little bit less rent than I, I supposed to pay. You mentioned property taxes in there. And you've said that's, and it's always a hot issue across yeah. town, but uh, yeah. what what is beyond sort of just your business, what is your review or what would your approach be on property tax and the level of tax in town? So I, I put myself in a thinking like how we can reduce. And I have seen that we have so many projects happen in the town, which are estimated or budget at certain, certain amount. But when the project turnouts, it will be more than a double or maybe 50 times higher. That is all passed to the resident of the Guwal. That is like, for, for an example, let's say the, the uh, new police headquarters takes longer than what is supposed to be done, right? We have another project uh, for the library. Like I'm not against the library, but the estimated cost of the project is very high and ultimate, ultimate payer is the ultimate money coming from the property tax. Another project we have on the south end for the rec center, which is budgeted about 80 million and the courts are coming more than like 120. So like where the money coming from and how are we going to manage all this? There should be a way to, you know, deal with the, you know, our projects and our 
or maybe we are not doing a right thing, how we are projecting our future for the Gwal. So biggest concern for me, and that's my main issue that we should find out more affordable way, more restricted deadlines or more tight things that any contract get out from the city should be done in a same time frame, or maybe we should think little bit beyond how we can make it more easier for the people. You've been out campaigning, uh, yeah. doing the door to door. What have you been hearing from the people in Ward 4 at the door? People have same concern that the property tax is so high, so they need more affordability. People are, who are renting, they say the rent is going up and up and I completely understandable because the property tax goes up. All your hydro, gas, water, everything going up and up, everything. So there is a biggest concern for the affordability for the people. Another major issue I have found that when the people are complaining about the street speeding. So there is lots of residential street we have seen in the town that will be used as a through street. So people are, you know, cutting to the, you know, main road and they're, being, they're looking for the shortcuts they're usually passing through the residential area. But while passing through the residential area, they forget that this is a residential zone they cannot speed it up. Even I live in my street, I have seen the people are zooming like they're driving on a highway, like, and it is so scary. Even I have to take my car from the my driveway. I have to look two to three times to my left and right is anything is coming or not. That's that's one thing. And lots of people concerning about the school and kids' safeties. Mm -hmm. they, they cannot put their kids on the street to play because of the you know uh, speed on the residence streets that that are the major concern i'm hearing from the people and some people have raised you raised the concern about the homelessness and the mental health illness and some people have even suggested me some good ideas and i really like to share those ones here that people have suggested why don't we have some program like uh, for the life changing program for those people who need more help we might have those programs implemented, but it might not be used yet. So people said we have put them to work. So we, we should have something landscape learning program introduced by the city. They'll, they can, you know, train those people who are in need or their mental stress down and they'll slowly, slowly put them back on you know, normal life and, and they will be helped out. We need more shelter for the uh, who are homeless because I personally believe there is nobody born homeless, right? Some People's situation sometimes bring them in a homelessness. And another issue I am seeing that we have a five different elementary high uh, elementary schools, and we don't even have a high school. Oh, I didn't know that either. No high no high school in War Four. Yeah, there is no high school in War Four. Like we have five elementary school. There's a large student population. And we don't have high school. That is surprising. Something that we ask everyone that we speak to that's that's running kind of in summary, why should voters choose you on October 24th? Well, I can say only one thing that I am a local entrepreneur, a small business owner and a community builder and a proud resident of Guelph and living in the world for the last 18 years. And I am running because I want to represent the key issues affecting to my fellow constituents that includes improving access to the mental health and wellness, improving the current barriers of communication between the world and residents, finding alternative ways to control property tax, fund and support affordable housing projects, advocating for more green sustainable growth while ensuring that the tax dollars are spent effectively. If I'm elected for Ward 4, it will be my privilege. 
Great to talk to you, Hitesh. And uh, if people wanted to reach out, find out more about you and your campaign, how can they do that? I do have uh, my website. Uh, they can uh, email me or they can visit my website. It's www.hitesjagat.ca. And the email address is contact at hitesjagat.ca. And I do have all social media platforms. They can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks very much, and best of luck on the campaign trail. Thank you so much, Scott. Okay, so Adrian Salvatore, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Adam. So for people who may not have seen any of your social media posts, uh, you're a fairly young guy, so you would immediately sort of shave 10 or 15 years off the median age of city council. So um, why does... um, why, why does someone like you want to take up uh, the, you know, the, the work of city council? Uh, you know, what's kind of your, your uh, what's in it for you, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, um, I love Guelph. I've, I've decided to make Guelph my home. I originally came here for university, uh, did a Bachelor of Computing at UOG, as well as a business cert. And um, like Guelph, Guelph is where I've made my home. I see a lot of opportunity in this community. And I had a uh, Love to offer myself up as a public servant. So Ward 4 and, and Guelph more broadly can make sure we're seizing those opportunities uh, when our city grows and changes and that we can get the most for all of our community. Speaking as a young person then who's sort of politically inclined, are, are you feeling, have you felt represented by city council? Which again, I, I make it, I know to only purely as a, a, the situation does skewer a bit older. Um but I, I guess is as a younger person, are do you feel seen? Do you feel represented in the the, the politics of Guelph? Um, when I when it comes to some key issues, I, I think that there could be more focus. Um, you know, when you're talking about the the twenties, thirties, um, like myself, uh, uh, housing affordability, rental affordability, uh, just affordability is a, is a huge huge part of that equation, right? And um, the city has a lot of levers that it can pull when it comes to housing affordability and, and the rental supply. So I see it both as a good way to actually address those concerns. And not that those are issues that just affect young people. They affect everybody, but I think they are at the forefront of young people's minds. Mm-hmm. So you said there are levers that, that can be pulled. So, um, you know, based on sort of what you, your understanding, you know, what can city council be doing today that um, maybe it takes an Adrian Salvatore to propose at the council level? Um, first thing would definitely be the draft zoning bylaw. I've been watching that with a lot of close attention, and I think it's it's going the right direction for sure. There's no question that we are moving the right way in terms of making it easier to build sort of uh, some different things that we haven't seen in this community. Right now, we do have a bit of a disparity between, um, and you know, I, this might come up later, white law. That's been mm. a big one I've been hearing a lot about. Um, a disparity between those sort of seven or eight story uh, towers and and a single family home because our bylaw zoning right now doesn't really allow for too many sort of middle options and and those sort of things provide much needed housing supply they are cheaper uh, you know to to get into if you want to buy one of those units they're they're so much more affordable uh, we need those sort of things and that the bylaw is doing a lot but there's areas I'd I'd maybe like to see it even make better considerations and go a little further hmm. You're talking there about some of that missing middle housing, and yes. a lot of that has to do with um, exclusionary zoning and and bringing an end to that. 
Yeah, that's that's absolutely that's absolutely it. So it's both about um, how we're allowing rental units to be built and supplied, and um, and some of our new housing. And we are getting that in Ward Four. Uh, we have that density corridor, Paisley and Elmira is a big one. And um, I do have some some concerns about sort of how we've done it so far. Uh, speaking to residents there, you know, traffic is is a big thing already, and it's going to become bigger. Well, there's no uh, alternatives really. The buses along there are far to walk to. They don't come as frequently as perhaps they should for someone to choose it as an alternative. Uh, if you want to walk around, the roads aren't inviting. And if you want to bike, <laughs> there's no bike lanes. So mm-hmm. um, we need to make sure we're supporting those denser do- developments when we do it. You've actually made um, accessibility, walkability, you know, active transportation um, kind of a key plank. And um, people who listen know that I live in Ward 4. So um, this is my backyard. And and for that reason, I know that, uh, you know, there are some pretty big barriers that are, are creating some of that walkability and not like they're not all necessarily insurmountable. And I think you probably have heard about this, too. Uh, the big fence line that runs uh, across the train tracks from Elma to um, pretty much the end of town, um, which essentially create uh, cuts the ward in half. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's both our ward is cut in half and then it's also divided from the rest of Guelph. Mm. Um, if you're not driving and you want to go downtown, it's, uh, it's tough. I, I mean, I see people all the time walking over the train bridge. Um, myself, I, I like to cycle when I can, you know, go to fixed gear or go downtown or go to an event, whatever, if I can do it, but, uh, crossing over the, the Hanlon on 124, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times it's, it is little things. I think we can make a really big difference. Um, one of the areas that I've been uh, particularly interested in is along Fife, actually, along uh, 5065, which I know has been in the news for some other reasons, but um, <laughs> there's there's many residents there that have mobility uh, mobility needs, and there's not even so much as a crossing. So I, I spoke to a, a lady in a mobility scooter who can't cross the road directly. There's no way for her to get up. So she has to get dropped off by the bus uh, down the street on some guy's driveway. And I spoke to him. Thankfully, he's very nice gent and has no problem with it, which is you know great community, but um, <laughs> that that shouldn't be our solution. Uh, right. She shouldn't have to detour 10 minutes to take a 10-minute bus ride. Yeah, and there's still sections of, um, you know, along the, the 20 route where the bus stop is a pole in the ground. There's, it's, you know, at the side, the dirt, the dirt side of the road, there's no concrete, there's no sidewalk. Uh, there's no uh, shelter, no garbage can. It's uh, it's a pole in the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's I I um I do like what we're seeing in terms of our transit too. I've been uh, following the the transit implementation plan or the transit master plan, especially our ten year changes with a lot of interest. Um, residents out around uh, Curzon Westra area right now. I spoke to quite a few families, and these are uh, a lot of times it's multi sorry, multi-generational families living in the same house and mm-hmm. um, they don't have space for everybody to have a car. They have a, maybe a, a person who's not yet driving age and for them to get around right now, it's like 1.2 kilometer walk to get to the bus stop. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm happy when I speak to them and I can go, well, it's already in the books. You know, the transit plan has this covered and in the next few years, you're going to see some stops closer. I would love to advocate to make that even sooner, perhaps if we can do that. But um, it, it is good that we're moving in the right direction for those things. Another thing I noted on your campaign website is um, 
you want to make um, modernizing city services a priority. So why is that a campaign issue? It's not one you hear everybody talk about. <laughs> um, you don't hold a copyright on future ready, do you? Or <laughs> <laughs> No, that's the, I don't know if the city owns the copyright either, but somebody does. Uh, well, um, that's, that's actually my, my strong suit as I see it, right? My background is all computers and IT. I do software implementation projects both through my workplace regularly and through my company when I do consulting work. So um, I've spoken to quite a few small business owners who say that our permitting system for them to do contracting work, for them to do whatever they need to do, is really, really tough to work with compared to other similar municipalities. So there's that side of it. There's being a cooperative to our business partners and being supportive of our small business, just making things easy and quick is helpful for them. But then also the, uh, the other end user, the, the taxpayer who wants to uh, request service or find something. And it's um, most of it can be done or a lot of it can already be done on the website, mm -hmm. but I believe a lot of it's cumbersome. A lot of mm. it could be streamlined and finding out whether you can do it or not and where and how to do it. That's the hardest part. Mm -hmm. So th there's some there's some gains to be made there, and I think that that'll help. Well, it will help both with accessibility, um, and with keeping costs down for business, and just streamlining our city, um, you know, end user experience. As an IT professional, how do you grade the city's current sort of digital access? <laughs> if if you gave it a letter grade, <laughs> well, uh, I, I will definitely. There's a lot of points there to be given because a lot of it is available. Although I know for some of the business side of things, it's like send an email with this filled in PDF to that address. So mm. um, let's let's go with maybe like a B minus. There's a lot of room to improve. I'd like to get to an A plus. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, there is sort of the, you know, the, the theoretical side of running, you know, reading up on the issues, becoming more involved, more informed. And then there's sort of like the practical side of, you know, when you go out there and you're talking to people who may be not so well informed or people who have very different ideas about what city council should be doing. So how's the, how's that learning curve been for you? Um, I, I see it. There's sort of two classes of issues we're talking about. And that's, that's sort of what you're saying there is mm. there's really the street level issues. And, and that is, it is, it's keeping people informed and actually talking about the issues that are on their, well, on their street, but in their neighborhood more directly affecting them. And that's, I'm really happy to hear about all those. Um, I'm, I'm happy to have learned a lot too when it comes to those things. So uh, they integrate really, really well with this higher level city issues too. Traffic calming, uh, you know, a lot of residents concerned that their street is becoming a throughway or or is a throughway that is not safe. Um, one of the the nicest things I saw just the other day uh, was over at a, a unit on Deerfield, and it's it's a lot uh, denser in there, mm. uh, very small roads and. You know, there's a lot of kids out playing, having a good time. And like, I remember doing that, but on, on the street where I'm at now, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable, uh, mm. you know, so those, those little things, but they're, they're much broader sort of planning and, and higher level issues as well. They really interconnect. So being able to talk to people about that, sort of saying where my angle is, how I, I think we can solve their the issue and making sure that they have, um, like I carry around in my bag, um, all the printouts from a lot of city pages on how to request a, a crossing, how to contact this or that department. So I can always just, you know, give them the info right away because I'm, I'm ready though. A lot of those are coming up and it's great. All right. Then this brings us to the most important question of the interview, which is where can people learn more about you or your campaign? Um, I got to say the best way, 226-770-3880. 
I'm give me a call. I'm happy to come by. I'm happy to chat on the phone. Of course, the website has a lot of written info as well. And I have been blogging. There's sneak preview. There's quite a few more drafts coming out over the next <laughs> few days. So every time, if I get a frequent question from a lot of people, I make sure to write about it. And then you can kind of find my, my stance or my answer, my thoughts on it uh, in one centralized area. So that's a great way too. All right. Perfect. Well, Adrian Salvatore, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Adam. Okay. Justin Van Deel, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm doing good. Thank you uh, for asking. Not a lot of the interviewees ever ask how I'm doing. So that wow. was that was nice. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, why? Who, who are you and why are you running? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of going back to where I'm from, I was born on a farm, not on the actual farm. I was born in a hospital, but no, I grew <laughs> up on a farm in the, in the middle of nowhere. Um, so, I mean, you know, to say I was born in a farm where I'm from, there's a possible chance that actually happened. Um, but no, I grew up on a farm down in, uh, near Long Point. And, uh, you know, fast forward to when it was time to go to university, I applied to Guelph here and, and uh, having never been here, which is kind of funny. Uh, I showed up and almost immediately fell in love. So I've been here since 2006, uh, and I've been living in the West End since about 2009. Okay. So over, you've been here in the West End, because I'm in the West End too, so that's over 13 years. So you have a pretty good handle on um, why you like the area and you know it, it does often seem that and, and I think of this too as someone who lives in the warfare area we often kind of you know get overlooked a, a bit you know what's the big draw here um, so what is it about Ward 4 that um, you know sort of keeps you here what's the appeal for you yeah so I mean like moving in here was you know this area was not on purpose it just kind of <laughs> happened and uh, you know the reason I've stayed is just it, it, for me, it's very central. I mean, I'm close enough to the Hanlon, I can hop on and go to either end. Um, you know, close enough to Woodlawn, I can get across to the other side pretty fast. Uh, but not only that, like, we have everything we need in terms of basics here. Uh, you know, a grocery store, a Costco, I guess, if you need it. <laughs> um, but then, you know, just across to Hanlon, outside of our ward is, you know, two other grocery stores and a, and a litany of other other retail sectors, but you know, there's not a lot of reason to leave this area, which is really kind of nice. You know, we have parks, we have all the retail needs. Um, if you want to go to the movies, we, for the longest time, we had the only movie theater. So that was great. Um, and then, yeah, if, you know, if you had a job in the, in the, you know, manufacturing industry, you were generally in this part of town. That's right. So it's just yeah. a great area to be, to be honest. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get into issues. Uh, on your website, you talk about smart and sustainable growth as, as one of your goals. So um, what does smart and sustainable growth look like to you? So for me, I mean, there's no doubt we, we are going to grow and we, you know, we need to grow. Uh, a lot of people aren't too happy about that. But then, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, it's just what's going to happen. So my thoughts are, you know, instead of what it seems like to me anyways, if you go through town, throwing a, you know, high density building onto any empty corner of an intersection just doesn't make sense. Um, you know, we have a couple spots here in, in the city where there are going to be 
high density buildings and neighborhoods that it just doesn't, you know, make sense for them to be there. Um, especially in terms of, you know, the infrastructure around it, the characteristics of the neighborhood, you know, it, it's too bad. We're almost taking, you know, the picturesque area and throwing a giant building into it. Um, I'm not against, you know, the high density buildings if they're the right buildings, but what I would like to see is, is the, the smart infrastructure being built around it. So, you know, whether that means making sure that the roads that are currently there can handle the traffic mm -hmm. um, or, you know, if that means us planning to make sure that the roads can handle the traffic, uh, you know, making sure that the transit routes go through there properly, that, you know, if we're going to add, you know, a couple hundred more people to that part of the, the city or whatever part of the city, especially here on the West End, then we need to be ready for them instead of trying to catch up to them. Uh, and another part of that would be, you know, instead of council looking at, you know, does this make sense for us for the next, you know, X amount of years that I'm a counselor or till the next election, we need to start thinking about the future of the city, you know, beyond, you know, the five years, you know, what is, what does this plan look like for 10 years? Does this make sense in 20 years? Are we buying the right materials or the land to make sure of this? You know, one thing I think about often is, is something like, you know, library that's going to go up downtown is, you know, is, is that the right area for a library? I know you can make arguments for and against, but the problem is in 50 years, is that going to be the right area for a library? Are we going to add to that library or are we going to decide to, you know, move it again, spend mm. another couple hundred million dollars, you know, and keep building it that way. So I'd just like to see sort of future consideration in terms of those sorts of building projects and infrastructure. It's funny you should say that because that is part of the problem with the current location of the main library is they can't add to it, so. <laughs> well, and that's just it, you know, and, and, and I understand, you know, especially the current one now, it was built uh, 50, over 50 years ago. Mm. So I, I keep thinking, you know, the 70s was like <laughs> 30 years ago, but no, and it was that's even right. before that, so. You know, so yeah, you think about how old that library is and, and I understand, you know, you, you, you look at the guts of it and you say, well, we can't, we can't do anything with this because it's so old. So that's why I kind of want the future considerations to be thinking about those things. You know, what materials are we using? And I understand that, you know, the same thing we're using now may not be the best in 30 years. That's just how technology and, and those things kind of evolve. But the problem is, are we considering that in terms of the budget? You know, mm. how can we make sure the infrastructure is growing with us instead of just aging? Mm. So that when the time comes, you know, of course I'm not an engineer, so I don't know, but I mean, you know, the, you know, the, when the time comes, instead of them saying, well, we need a bigger library, we better go start all over somewhere else. You know, can we add to it? So, you know, having those sorts of modular buildings or spaces especially something like a rec center where it's like okay we have room right now because we need a a ice pad and a pool but knowing that we are supposed to grow to over 200,000 in the you know next 50 some odd years 70 years you know are we going to need more there so again is it do we tear down and start over or are we thinking ahead that we're able to fit these needs into that space now mm-hmm 
You mentioned too uh, about accountability, which I always find interesting because accountability means something different to to different people. And I think you'd probably find a lot of the current counselors would make the argument they are accountable. Um, you know, elections are one form of accountability, but I, I, I get the sense you're probably talking about an advanced form of, of accountability. So what does that look like to your mind? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you hit the nail right on the head in terms of, you know, accountability being different for everybody. Um, and it also depends on the topic, this and that, you know, counselors and politicians now, and I'm not just saying people on our, you know, local government, but all politicians like to think they're accountable until it comes to something they likely don't want to talk about or shed light to, um, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, they, they forget that promise they made. You know, some of the accountability I want us to really focus on, and I'm sure you'll hear it a lot, um, it, but it's a matter of whether they do it or not, is... Mm-hmm is opening up everything to the, to the people. Um, mm. I understand that, you know, some information just can't, you know, be out there in terms of protecting people, uh, you know, things, but we got to make sure we're protecting the right people for the right reasons, you know, victims, not, you know, politicians who, you know, maybe made bad choices. Uh, so I think, you know, being able to see what's happening in a more open space is is beneficial for for everybody um you know with that being said i know the city tries to do a lot and making sure that whatever they are doing is being talked about or that you know people have input but i don't know how many times i've talked to people and they're like oh i didn't know this was being built over here or that's going there and oh public consultations closed so you know uh you know not the past the buck a little bit but you know we need to figure out how we can get our our residents of Guelph more involved in that sense so that they know these things are here so mm. that they can get input in. And I don't know that, you know, we're using technology the best way to make sure that can happen. So as far as like transparency goes, it, it should be more about, you know, here is what we're thinking and doing. Here's, you know, where X amount of dollars are going to go. And here's why we're thinking it you know, full disclosure. And if somebody really wants to dig through the paperwork, it, it's there. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, part of that uh, from the sound of it is just, you know, trying to uh, encourage people to be more involved, um, you know, in, I guess in the shorter term, as opposed to waiting for something to come back to council where they have to delegate. And it's, it, yeah, that, I mean, that helps. That definitely helps. But I mean, also, you know, a part of that would be why decisions are being made. Um, you know, I just had this conversation, especially in terms of transparency about, you know, some of the police services and, mm. you know, why some things are done there. And, you know, I, I think there could be a lot more transparency to help ease people. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of, you know, the police and the first responders. I mean, I don't know anybody who really isn't, you know, cause I mean the jobs they do, I, I could never do, especially <laughs> paramedics, you know, firefighters and, and the police, the things they deal with are, are not the best, but you know, a lot of the trust there has been eroded in terms of, you know, the transparency. So that's mm. something, you know, I would like to maybe look at, open up and have people really be able to, to see what's happening on the inside. All right. So if people want to look on the inside of your campaign or, or talk to you or, or learn more about you, how can people do that? Yeah, they can go to www.voteforjustin.ca. Uh, alternatively, you can email me at justin at voteforjustin.ca. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, elect Justin Vandale. 
and then Instagram is also connected, you know, for vote Justin Ward for, um, you know, my website isn't completely done in terms of what a platform looks like. I want to be able to come to people with a, you know, well thought out platform. So my, my angles are, you know, uh, like I said, smart growth, sustainability, making sure that, you know, we are transparent and affordability. You know, those are all main points, but, you know, as I talk to people, I want to make sure before I go throw up a platform that I've heard everything mm -hmm. and then I can give, you know, a real direction of what I'm thinking. Okay, perfect. So Justin, uh, thank you so much for all your time today and good Thanks, luck on the campaign trail. Thank you. Take care. And that's it for this special edition of the show. We hope you liked it. You can stay connected to us at our website at opensourcesguelph.com. You can find us on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire. And we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can listen to any episode of Open Sources by downloading it from our website. You can get it from the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or via your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. You can find Scotty on Facebook and Twitter at Scotty Hertz, H-E-R-T-Z. And you can find out all sorts of information about CFRU, including programs and volunteer opportunities and the weekly top 20 list. You can find all of that at CFRU.ca. Coming up on Open Sources in the next couple of weeks on the October 13th and October 20th show, we will have interviews with the people who are running to be the next mayor of Guelph. That is at our regular time, Thursday at 5 p.m. And for all things Open Sources or CFRU, stay tuned to this feed. The hits just keep on coming, and we will see you next time.